Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uktena, and today we'll be sorting out the difference between there versus here, or how to bring universal wisdom into the practical world, and how, in reality, there's no divide between the two except what we create. So, right off the bat, I'm going to use some big words. Don't be scared. They won't hurt, I promise. One is transcendent, and the other is imminent. Among other things, these mean there and here, respectively. In spirituality, they delineate the divide between embodied life and everything else. Some people refer to this divide as the veil, although there are as many ways to define and refer to this separation as there are people and beliefs. These terms also describe the unchanging universal everything, juxtaposed with the ever-changing becoming of living. These two have been on my mind for about four different reasons. Welcome to the life of a writer. I read spiritual source texts for fun, My daydreamy face can mean I'm thinking about Kundalini and the medicine wheel just as readily as Theo James or Marvel's Daredevil, and I will expound on things ad nauseum if you let me. You shouldn't let me. Besides the fact this is just the way I am, it has some benefits for you, so bear with me. Concerning yoga and Kundalini... Being very fond of source material, as I mentioned, I realized I'd never actually delved into any for chakras, and I wanted to go several levels deeper. So I started to dig. As I'm reading The Serpent Power, I've been struck by the way in which Shiva and Shakti are described. First, Shiva is seen as transcendent. Not surprising, as this is the common understanding of him in the Western world. He's seen as the being which is there, representative of universal energy, the potential for all things, encompassing all but being none. What is interesting to me is seeing Shakti described as power, the active mover which manifests potential, the imminent universal force. In yoga, she's seen as part of all human beings, the kundalini coiled at the base of the spine. The shakti remains inert until we're ready to awaken her, awaken our true nature and our full abilities. What is striking about this is that in yoga, the purpose for connecting with shakti or raising kundalini is not about moving outside of ourselves, is not seen as less than universal energy or something to be shunned, but instead is the meeting place where Shiva and Shakti can achieve union, the potential and the power. Within us, they create the harmony of the spheres, unleashing their potential. Even more, the potential is seen as transcendent, universal, and unchanging, connected with the all that is, but imminent, fully interconnected with the world here, and providing a means for each individual's unique contribution to be made manifest. So the veil, if you wish to think of it in those terms, 
is a divide which is not meant to stay divisive. Shiva and Shakti are lovers who are constantly striving to be together. This divide is meant to be dissolved through kundalini practice. So eventually the person is both and, there and here. Okay, so then with Yahweh and Shekinah. Having been immersed in Kabbalah studies and working so intensely with the Tree of Life, has given me a deep appreciation for the beautiful way there and here are woven into Judaism, particularly in the Shabbat. Yahweh is transcendent, the unchanging, omniscient, omnipotent creator of all things, and Kabbalists studied the way in which this creation happened is happening, In great detail, on so many levels, it's a tapestry, which has something to pique anyone's interest. Shekinah is the imminent form of God, a part of divinity who exists with the people, supporting them in their becoming and their tribulations, gracing the sacred space and delineating sacred time. She is the Sabbath Queen, invited to the Shabbat celebration in order to create sacred space and time, not just in specified places, but in each week. On the seventh day, each person is allowed to lay down the external world and return to the sacred, to the source, to remember who they are, why they are, and celebrate their connection to the Creator. While Shabbat and the Shekinah are richly complex and meaningful subjects, one aspect of them which always catches me is the fact, instead of being one more way in which to encourage us to reach outwards, they are instead a means for inviting the sacred to come and dwell with us. It is a means of creating an intimate, personal, and grounded-in-the-real-world relationship with the Source. While it is very clear there is a transcendent, which is beyond this world, the focus is on the imminent, on dealing with what is in front of us, what we are capable of with our limited understanding of things, and on achievable results including union with the divine not only in dedicated public sacred space, but in our homes and in our hearts. If the transcendent becomes imminent, and participates in life with us, then the divide takes a very different shape altogether. Less a divide and more a placeholder, letting us know what we'll get back to when the time comes. Then there are totems. Power animals, animal guides, familiars, just FYI. These are all names for different relationships which animals and animal spirits have with us. They are distinct and not just different names for the same thing. But whatever terms you use, most people see these as symbols or beings over there, which can only be accessed by crossing the veil and accessing their wisdom. These beings are thought to be transcendent having a tentative relationship with the animal they're associated with. Well, interesting enough, that's more or less true depending on the person. 
the connection is increasingly vague and intellectual the more urban and disconnected from nature the person is. The more rural or directly connected to nature the person is, the less vague the connection. People spend good money to be told what their totem animal is, to meet their power animal, to find a means to work with an animal guide, which will somehow teach them the mysteries of the universe and show them their path. Which is true to a point, as long as the searcher knows or figures out the same lesson Dorothy found at the end of The Wizard of Oz, what you need you'll find in your own backyard. Totems are beings who work with you to figure out who you are here, in this lifetime. And even better, help you figure out how you can follow your path as well as share it with others, thereby contributing to the amazing tapestry of embodied life. It's a win-win. Where people get stuck is in looking over there and thinking, like the Highlander, there can be only one. This seems to be a simplification of Native American spirituality for Western culture. I have yet to find a tribe which has this narrow of a relationship with animal beings. For example, among my people, each person is seen as having seven totems, one for each type of being or sacred aspect of life, the sacred sphere. Beyond this would be a totem for your clan, a totem which might come when you have needs, such as a protector, prior to, during, or after surgery. Maybe a totem that works with a person when they are a child, but then a new one which comes when they're an adult, and another which might come to help them with their marriage. Many of my students have totems which are particular to working with the class material, because on top of the learning they will do, they're also embarking on a transformational process, and the totem is there to support and guide them through it. All of which is a bit transcendent, in that it's mostly internal to the person, occurring in dreams, in meditations, in emotions, and urges to collect things, and in various other ways which are supportive of spiritual practice. However, what is often missed in all this is totems are both transcendent and imminent. Animals are real. Wolves exist. Giraffes are touchable. Large cats wander all over the west coast of the U.S. and Canada. And snakes are everywhere but Ireland. Totems, animal guides, and familiars live with us. We don't have to look very far to find them. Many times they're doing everything except naked interpretive dance in order to get our attention. They are bits of divinity existing among us at all times. Interacting with totems in an imminent way brings transcendent wisdom into life. In Native American culture, we spend our lives learning about and from our totems, striving to live up to the amazing blessings they give. For those who aren't living this type of life, I recommend Ted Andrews' book, Animal Speak. It's a great introduction to the complexity of what a totem can be attempting to teach you, and also points people to where they can learn more, such as researching the habitat and habits of the animal, and finding a way to safely experience them. Going beyond that, I recommend Animal Field Guides. 
because the messages they bring are as much in what they do as what they don't. If you don't know the vocabulary they're using, you're missing half the wisdom and could garble the message. Which brings us to the Akashics. I've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. The Akashics isn't out there or over there or beyond the veil. The Akashics are here, there, and everywhere. Like Obi-Wan says, the Force is everywhere. It's the connection between all living things. As Irvin Laszlo points out, scientists are beginning to discover what has been known spiritually for millennia. Akasha is the Akashics manifesting from transcendent into imminent over and over again. Because the process of accessing the Akashics consciously appears to be an action which takes us from here to there, students tend to think of things they are experiencing as all in their heads or over there, and so having no relevance to life here. However, somewhat like going to temple or ceremony or church once a week, if the only place where you're practicing your spirituality is there, it's not going to have much effect on your life here, or anyone else's for that matter. But the Akashics contains both transcendent and imminent features. Soul books are imminent. They are living records constantly updating as we change. They cannot be transcendent because they are in intimate connection with their being, who is constantly changing, and which changes them. Same with each individual's Akashic room and the majority of records in the Akashic library. Whether they refer to embodied life or other aspects of existence, all this becoming is an imminent process. The records speak to an ever-changing and becoming all. What people don't often realize is, for the most part, all of their focus in working with the Akashics is there. It is going there to read the records which are there and to work with materials over there. Then the person ends the session and is here again. This one-way interaction ignores how much the Akashics is also here. Changes made there change things here. Questions posed there can be answered here. The divide is not really so very dividey. Therefore, working with the Akashics creates a conversation which, if the person is willing, deepens their connection with things here. It can't not. Students comment to me they're amazed when they discover in-real-life geography they thought was only a place in the Akashics. It can't have been something they made happen in meditation because they had never been to the place before and had no opportunity to see it or imagine it beforehand. Yet it's real. Others start having more and more interactions with animals who are responding to requests for confirmation, for further connection, for new conversations, and doorways into the next portion of the person's path. Still others find synchronicities and opportunities ramping up as they move and are moved. All of which is to say there and here 
is somewhat like the passenger side mirror. Some objects may be closer than they appear, or be one and the same thing. Put another way, the veil may not be a divide between us and the other side, but a divide within ourselves. Divinity resides in us, is all around us, and is meant to be nurtured and spread by us. So amongst all the reaching and the searching, take time to be present with what you've achieved so far, who you are, and the fact you still need to create with what you've acquired. You are the home the transcendent is waiting for. Are you ready to be completely imminent? And that's all the time we have this week. Next time, we'll be looking into how you can move from trying to find a passion into walking your path. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a minute to rate it five stars on iTunes. Your comments are also appreciated. Thanks. Bye.